All right, everybody, how we doing? Doing good? That's good. If you're not doing good, I hope you're doing better after we are done, all right? And so it's going to be a good day. We're in this series, and it's been a really good series over the last several weeks called It's Just a Phase, and we've been having a conversation as parents. If you're parents, this is helpful for you, but even if you're not parents, this is helpful for you because we've been having the conversation about how it's just a phase and we don't want to miss it. And, and that idea is simply this, that all of us go through phases or all of us go through seasons in life, and if we're not careful, we can miss those phases. And especially as a parent, we can kind of think negatively of like, oh, this is just a phase. I can't wait to get through this phase. Or we can just think positively about it and engage in that phase and realize, even though it's the terrible twos, they'll never be two again. And so I can engage in that phase of their life, and I can do the right things in that phase to help them grow. And so we've been having this conversation the last several weeks, and if you haven't been here, I'm just going to kind of recap quickly for you so you can catch up with us, so that you can be a part of the conversation that we're having, is very simply, we want to do the right things over time to create health. Because one of the other phrases that we've talked about is this phrase of time heals all wounds is simply not true. Because we all know time sometimes can make things worse, right? So it's doing the right things over time that creates health in our life. And so time is simply a unit of measurement, and we just want to do the right things over time to create health. And so in that same context, we have said that we want to do the right things over each phase in our kid's life, because phase is just simply a unit of time or a measurement of time to help them grow. So we want to do the right things over time to help them grow. That is this whole concept of it's just a phase is we want to engage in those seasons in their lives, just like in the seasons of our own lives, we want to do the right things over time. And last week, very quickly, we talked about that right thing over time is love. It's love over time because that creates worth. So we want to love our kids over time to create worth, but that all comes from letting God first love us. Because God is the one who defines love because God is love. And so we love like God by letting God love us. And when we do that, it creates worth in us. And then we have an opportunity to create worth in them. So we're going to continue that conversation today and talk about two more things that we can do over time that really creates worth and value in our kids and honestly in ourselves. And these two, and I got to you know, do it as concisely as I can because I'm so excited about it because I think these two really can be life-changing. I'm not just saying that as pastor speak, all right? They really can be if we'll let them. So if you've got a Bible, we're in Deuteronomy chapter six. That's where we've been the last several weeks. We're gonna continue by just picking up where we left off last week in Deuteronomy chapter six. And then we'll go to uh, Ephesians chapter four, which is in the New Testament for a little bit. And then we'll come right back to Deuteronomy chapter six and look further down in the chapter, all right? So if you've got a Bible, you can mark that or turn there. If you don't, don't worry about it. We've got it here on the screens. And we'd love, even love to give you one for free after the service is over if you don't own one, all right? But as always, we're going to pray and ask God to bless our time together, and then we'll jump in, all right? So pray with me. Father, thank you so much for loving us. We know love because of you, and you have self-sacrificed yourself for us. You have given us love over time. And so God, thank you for that, and I pray as we open up your word today that you would speak to us, because we're looking at your word, and your word creates this worth, as it creates these worlds for us to understand who you are and understand who we are. So God, I pray that you would speak to us today and you would use your word to do that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Deuteronomy chapter six, we're gonna start in verse seven. I've read this verse now three weeks in a row, but we're gonna dig into it a little bit more this week because it applies specifically to the one thing over time that we're gonna talk about this week. Verse seven, it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house or sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So now context, he's talking about, because verses four through six, he says, you shall love the Lord your God, right, with everything that you are. And now he's saying, you shall teach them to your kids. And that's the whole concept that we've been talking about over the last several weeks is it's just a phase. And so it's our responsibility as parents to engage with our kids, number one, to love God ourselves, and then out of that to teach them. And so the primary responsibility lies on the parents to teach our kids about who Jesus is. And that's the beauty of the curriculum and everything, the philosophy that we use here as a church. We, as a church and the home, want to work together. That's orange. That's everything that we talk about. That's red and yellow coming together. That's the heart of the house and the light of the church coming together to partner together to create an environment for our kids. But the primary responsibility rests on us as moms and dads to teach our kids. Now, without just, you know, being Captain Obvious here, I want to point out, well, I guess I am being Captain Obvious, all right? But he says, you shall teach diligently. And I told you that that word diligently means by repetition. And then he says, you shall talk. Now, I know it might be obvious, but here's the fundamental, like the principal thing. I want, I'm just going to blow you away. You teach by talking. I know, right? Like that is just profundity. You're like, dude, this dude is deep. I told you, man. I told you that's why you need to come, right? But you teach by talking, very simply. So let me say it to you like this. How you talk or the words that you use inform how you're teaching. But so often, let's be honest, as parents, we don't really regulate the words that we use. Or we don't really... We don't really think a lot before we talk. We don't really think, like, okay, what am I creating? What kind of context, what kind of an environment am I creating with my kids, with how I'm talking and therefore teaching them over time? So I want to give you the concept and then we're going to break it down. So here's one of the points for this week. Words over time equal direction. Words over time equal direction. So we talked about love over time equals worth. Words over time equals direction. Now, I want you to think about the words that you use. The words that you use. Now, the words that we use create worlds for our kids. Now, let me explain that. In Genesis chapter one, if you've ever read it, very simply, it says, in the beginning, God created in the heavens and the earth. Verse two, it says, and the earth was formless and void. And then verse three, God said, it says, God said, let there be light. So God created the world that we see by speaking words. God created the world that we see, the world that we live in by speaking words. And here's what I want you to see. The words that you use in your house create worlds for your kids. Words create worlds. 
Words create worlds. And I don't think this is a misunderstanding or a misapplication of Genesis 1. In fact, what I'm trying to say is I think it's intentional that God spoke the world into existence because he's showing us this is the power of the words that we use. Because the words that we use will create worlds for our kids. And therefore, those worlds give them direction over time. So the words that we use to teach our kids over time will give them a world to live in. We'll give them direction over time. Doing some research for this, there was one thing that really surprised me. You want to know one of the greatest indicators of your child's success in life? Like one of the greatest indicators of your child's success in life is their vocabulary. Now think about that. One of the greatest indicators is the words that they use. How many words do they know? How do they speak? How do they sound? What words are they using? Are they just using four-letter words all the time? You know what I mean by that, right? Food and, you know, that kind of stuff. But no, you know what I'm talking about? And and, and hear me, hear me, hear me. I got to say this. This is a disclaimer. And I said this last service. I'll say it next one. Because I want you to understand When you leave here today, I don't want you to think, yeah, he's right. Words over time matter. So I just need to cuss less. Now, should you cuss less? Of course. But I'm speaking deeper than just that. Here's what I mean. Turn to Ephesians chapter four now. Ephesians chapter four, verses 29 through 32. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 through 32. Paul is now breaking out in Ephesians chapter four, the, the, the practical implications of everything that he said in Ephesians 1 through 3, 1 through 3 is doctrine, 4 through 6 is practicality, which is the book of Romans that we're still teaching through and that we'll get back into after this is over. Very similar way, Paul teaches 1 through 11, doctrine, 12 through 16, how we live that out. So now he's talking about, okay, how do we live this out? And in chapter 4, verse 29, he says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the first part, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Now, cussing definitely applies to that category because here's the definition of the word corruption. It means bad, rotten, decayed, But here's where it goes deeper. Having no value, pertaining to, listen to this, pertaining to that which is harmful in its view or it's being unwholesome or corrupting. So the words that we use, not only are they corrupt or they can be corrupted, but they also can be corrupting. And so what Paul's getting at here is exactly what Moses was saying in Deuteronomy chapter six. Listen, the words that you use with your kids are going to create worlds in their mind. They're gonna talk like you. And when you talk to them, when you create worlds with the words that you're you're using, you're either corrupting them or you're building them up. Now that right there is enough to just make you go home and cry, right? You're either corrupting them or building them up. Another way to say it is any good thing they got from God, any bad thing they got from you, right? This is why your wife, guys, would normally say, that is your son, right? (laughs) 
But you got to really kind of step back and think about it again from a thought experiment and say, you know what, what, what words am I using in my house? And therefore, what kind of world, what kind of context am I creating for my kids? Man, I got to tell you, this was so convicting for me. This was so convicting for me. In fact, I I taught on this in our all staff this last week in Ephesians chapter four, because I wanted to make sure as a staff, we have a culture of building one another up. And this is so convicting for me because in the world that I grew up in, I didn't get a lot of words that were building up. And so therefore, I just learned how to survive on my own. I learned how to encourage myself. I learned how to build myself up. And I didn't do it by you know, looking at myself in the mirror and saying, you're awesome, doggone it, people like you. I did it honestly by laughing at myself, not taking myself too seriously and just learning how to encourage myself, realizing that there was a void in my life and so I had to speak into it. And so naturally, I'm not, and my wife would attest to this if she were in the service, she would be amening right now, I'm not a natural encourager. I'm not a natural encourager. But for so often, I have just said, yeah, I'm just not good at that. I'm not natural at that. That's not how I grew up. And I kind of use that as an excuse to just dismiss it. Until I realized that this verse doesn't apply to people with certain personality types. You know what I'm saying when I say that? Well, I'm just not like that. I'm not wired like that. Well, here's the deal, homie. You might have been wired wrong. So you might need to unwire and rewire. Maybe it was hardwired into you that how you talk is you tear down. But here's what God is saying. No, how my spirit is wired is we build up. That's how we build up. Don't miss this. He says, only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know what Paul's saying? The language of the Holy Spirit is one of giving grace and building up. And so if you are using words to give grace and build up, you're speaking the Holy Spirit's language. But the reverse is also true. If you are using words to take grace and tear down, you're not using the language of the Holy Spirit. You're using the language of another spirit and it ain't holy. You with me when I say that? You are grieving and that word there, grieve, means to make sad. You are grieving the Holy Spirit when you use words to tear down instead of build up. Now think about that. And the words that I use, don't forget, the words that I use create worlds. So what kind of world are our kids growing up if we're not using the words of the Holy Spirit to build up? We're growing them up in a world that is influenced more by spirits that are unholy and teaching them how to tear down. But how many of you know it is much easier to tear down than build up? You ever seen something getting torn down? I mean, it happens a lot around here because there's a lot of building that's always going on and it's always on like these, you know, roads that were never meant to have all this traffic on it. You're like, I know I live in it, right? And so there's this old house on a piece of property and then they'll come in with a track hole and a bulldozer in like a day, like just tear that junker down. And then you're like, oh, there was a house there. Now there's not. And then they start doing the land clearing and you're like, how in the world are they going to build something on that? And they build this huge thing with a retaining wall. And then all of a sudden there's an (laughs) O'Reilly's, 
right? But that tearing down process took two days, but that building up process probably took six months. So is it any wonder that all of us default to tearing down? Because it's just easier. Doesn't, let me say it to you like this. It doesn't take intelligence. Doesn't take intelligence to tear down. And it doesn't take much work. And you can see the results faster. But when you tear something down, over time, if you don't build up, then you just use your words to deconstruct. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be known as the dude that's always tearing other people down. You know somebody like that in your life? And if you can't think of somebody, maybe it's you. I don't want to be the type of person, and I don't want to be the type of father, I don't want to be the type of husband that all my kids think is, oh yeah, he just tears me down. And how do we do that? Mostly with our words. I saw a pastor that I really respect, not only because I respect him as a pastor, but I respect him as a person because he's just a great husband and he's a great dad. He's got three kids, two girls, and his son is his youngest. And he posted a picture a couple weeks ago of him lifting up his son at a basketball goal because he loves basketball. And so he was lifting up his son so that his son, who was in elementary school, could get the shot in the goal. And then on the bottom, he put this caption. He says, you know, I was asked recently, what is my goal as a parent? And he says, I want to constantly lift my kids up. I want to lift my kids up. And this picture captures that. And then he said this, I want to have dirty shoulders for the rest of my life. Think about that. Dirty shoulders. Not a dirty mouth. Dirty shoulders. What does that mean? My shoulders are dirty because other people are standing on them. Other people are standing on me. I'm, I'm using my opportunities, my words, and I thought, man, what a great concept. What a great visual picture. And I was sharing that with our staff. I was like, you know what? We want to be the type of staff where all of us walk around with dirty shoulders. Because we're constantly, thank you, we're constantly lifting other people up. We are constantly helping other people understand, listen, there is a new world out there that you may not have known yet, but God has for you. How many of you know you can live on a word that somebody tells you for an entire year? Don't you? I mean, someone gives you a word at a right time and you can live on that joker. Like it's, it's creating a world within you simply because they, they spoke it to you. Here's the one thing I know to be true about all human beings. All human beings, yourself included, although you may not admit it, but every single one of us every day are leaking out. We are leaking out love. We are leaking out value. We are leaking out worth. And if we don't have people that are constantly speaking that back into us, then we will run on deficits that we were never intended to run on. Paul here very clearly says, use words that are building up, that give grace. And I love this phrase, as fits the occasion. That phrase there, as fits the occasion, literally means 
into whatever is lacking. Into whatever is lacking. And you don't quite get that in the English phrase, just, oh, as it fits the occasion. And so we, we tend to think, oh, well, it's this occasion, so I'm going to say this. It's this occasion, so I'm going to say this. No, what Paul's saying here is, listen, look around all the time at everybody and see what is lacking in their life and speak into it. See what's lacking. And whatever occasion that is, and speak, use your words to build that person up. Because when you're using your words to build that person up in that situation where they are lacking, then you are an agent of the Holy Spirit in that moment to give them the grace that they need. That's what he's talking about here. And so the occasion, yes, when it comes to our kids, as they go through these phases, there's going to be certain things in each phase of their life where they're lacking something. And God has put our kids into a family to be an agent of the Holy Spirit to give them what they need in that moment that they are lacking. And if you don't give it, I want to tell you something. Somebody else will. Somebody else will. You know, in Genesis 1, it says the earth was formless and void. And God said, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. I want you to understand something. Every single one of us have a void in our life. And if we don't have somebody as an agent of the Holy Spirit speaking into that void saying, let there be, then another spirit will come in and speak into that void. Your kids, my kids have a narrative void in their life and they need us to fill it with the word of God. And if we don't, someone else will. So we got to give our kids a vocabulary. We got to help our kids understand the power of words. And again, you can see how this applies. Yes, I want my kids to understand that we don't just use four-letter words. We can use six-letter words and eight-letter words and 12-letter words. I want them to understand that vocabulary. But here's what I want them to understand as well, that their words are their weapon. Their words are their weapon. The word of God is called a sword. A double-edged sword. And I don't know if you've held a sword lately, but you can pierce some stuff with it. You, you can cut some stuff with it. And, and sometimes you take a machete to something, right? Like I've been clearing out a trail uh, behind my house so we can have a place to walk. And I went on Amazon and ordered a machete. And my daughter was like, well, what is that? And I was like, this is a machete, Right? And it was this really cool one, man. It is awesome. And we just go out on the trail. I mean, just cutting down things. And she's like, this is awesome. My dad is amazing. But sometimes it calls for a scalpel. Sometimes I have to, and, and, and doctors, you understand this. Sometimes you have to hurt in order to heal. And so sometimes, yes, words can be used in a way that's going to hurt somebody, but it's going to heal them. But please don't use a machete to do it. Some of y'all are like, well, I told them the truth with a machete. And now they're in pieces. And it, and it called for a scalpel at that moment. It called for precision at that moment. How many of you know that have gone through this in a very painful way? Man, chemo or radiation, it's very targeted because it will kill all cells. But you only wanted to use, to use it to kill the cancer cells, not the good cells. And that is how our words are too. 
If we're not targeting them correctly at the right time as fits the occasion as to what they're lacking, then we might use our words to kill off anything that was ever good. There's a narrative void that we all have. And into that void, the Bible says, God said, let there be. My friends, you as an agent of the Holy Spirit, as a parent, have the opportunity to step into your kid's life and say, let it be. Let it be, let it be. And as we do that, we give our kids direction over time. Look at the next two verses, verse 31 and 32 of Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. How many of you know your words have spewed out on somebody else because, or spewed out on somebody because somebody else hurt you. I heard another pastor say this this week. He says, you better heal from your past wounds or you'll start bleeding out on people that never cut you. Now think about that. If we don't heal from our past wounds that more often than not were by, by words, then we'll start bleeding out on people that never cut us. You know how many times I have come home and snapped at my wife and snapped at my kids and it wasn't their fault? It's because I didn't deal with something on the way home in my truck, right? I didn't have a conversation and say, you know what, God? Yeah, they hurt me, but I got to forgive them like you forgave me. And then I'm at a place, I'm at a new world in my own self created by the word of God that I can now give out from. So often in our life, we just don't understand how our words create those worlds. Now go back to Deuteronomy chapter six, and I wanna show you how we can positively use our words to create these worlds. How we can use our words to create these worlds for our kids. Deuteronomy chapter six, skip down now to verse 20. We ended in verse nine earlier, but now go to verse 20. In verse 20, Moses is continuing to talk. Remember Deuteronomy chapter six, or Deuteronomy means second law. So Moses is saying this a second time. And verse 20, it says this. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. Now let's, let's stop and chat here for a second. Notice he says, when your son asks, not if. How many of you know your kids are going to ask you questions you better be prepared to answer? And how many of you know they're going to ask you the questions when you're not prepared to answer it? You're like, you're four and we're driving to school. And we're talking about this now. What made you think of that? Right? I mean, just the other way, two weeks ago on a Saturday, we were sitting in a doctor's office and my 15 year old son asks me one of the most profound questions he's ever asked me because he's thinking about his future and what God has for him. And it's like 930 on a Saturday and I'm still half asleep. 
And, and, and instantly he asks me, and, and like a good dad, I was on my phone ignoring him, right? And so he asked, I mean, I mean, sorry, like a bad dad. Um, whew, no, I'm just kidding. But in that moment, when he asked me that question, I had an opportunity to engage, right? And so instead of reading words on a, on a little screen, put that down, engage with him in words, because he asked me. Now, again, for the sake of being obvious, he says, when your son asks, then you shall say. You better have some words ready when they ask. He says, when your son asks you, not if, but when. Here's a little pro tip that I've learned from parenting. So often, I want to talk to my kids when they're not ready, and so often, they want to ask me when I'm not ready. But... But if I'm not careful, I'll just ramrod them when they're not ready and they ain't listening anyway. Or when they're ready and they ask, I can be ready with an answer because now they're ready to listen. And I've just learned this with my kids. It's almost always at the inopportune times. In a doctor's office, late at night when I'm tired, driving to school, sometimes through a text message. And that's an opportunity, a God-given opportunity that they have now asked. And here's why they're asking as they go through each phase. There's a void and they don't know how to live in it. You with me when I say that? Like there's a void and they need context for that void. They need a world to be created for them. And, and it better be my words inspired by the word of God. Because if it's not my words that are giving them context for that, the world will give them words. How many of you know that to be true? And again, and I'm not being mean here as, as a parent, but I just want to say something to you. Please don't ever have the mantra of, I'm just going to let my kids figure it out. I've had parents tell me that over time. You know, my parents were really, really, really strict religiously, and I just don't want to force it on my kids. Well, don't do nothing. Don't, don't swing the pendulum so far. I'm not saying you have to be religiously you know, so strict as your parents, but don't just swing it the other way. We're like, oh, I'm just trying to be their friend. No, they need a dad. They need a mom. And, and here's why I'm saying this to you. You may take that approach to spiritual things, but do you take that approach to math? Well, two plus three equals seven. No, it doesn't. It equals five. Well, who wrote that? The universe? I mean, like, well, I just feel like it equals seven. Well, your feelings are wrong. You see what I'm saying? Like, we've created this world now where kids get to dictate their own worlds based on how we feel. And we've got to speak into that void and say, no, 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 no. No. This is what God says. Now, here's what's so crucial. Here's what's so crucial. It's all in how you say it. Look at the next verse. Here's Moses saying, this is what you say. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. My friends, the words that you use to tell your kids about God will create perspective for them. Let me say it to you like this. Stories over time equal perspective. Words over time equal direction. Stories over time equals perspective. Again, all this came from the resources that we have available for you. And the stories that we tell our kids about what God has done 
will inform them about whether or not they should obey him. But so often how we tell our kids the stories is we say, this is what you should do. This is what God says. And so our kids grow up thinking that God is just this old man upstairs who is mad and wants to give a bunch of rules. But notice how Moses puts it in context. He says, when your kids ask, you shall say, we were slaves, but he brought us out. We were slaves and he brought us out. It's in in those moments where we communicate to our kids, listen, you wanna know why, why I obey God? Because I was a slave to sin. I was a slave. I was addicted to this. I couldn't overcome this. I thought this about myself, but he brought me out and he brought me out so he could bring me in. And when he brought me in, he gave me a land flowing with milk and honey. He did all this for my good. Look, that's what he says next. Look at verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statues to fear the Lord our God for our good always. For our good always. Say it with me. For our good always. One more time. For our good always. I feel like we should dance to it, right? Like, come on. For our good always. F-O-G-A. That's better than Fogo de Chow, right? Like, eat on that, man. For our good, always. Listen, your kids need to know that the reason that you obey God the way that you do is because you used to not obey him and it led to slavery. You used to reject him and it led to you becoming a lesser version of yourself. It led to you feeling enslaved and entrapped and you couldn't escape, but God showed up. And he brought you out so that he could bring you in. Because see, here's what happens. That generation that was going into the promised land, they weren't in slavery. Because the generation that was in slavery died out in the wilderness. So now you got a whole new generation that are just living off the blessing and they don't have a context of the cursing. And how many of us know that parents that do that with their kids, that just give their kids everything that they didn't have, create spoiled brats? Because they have no perspective. They have no perspective. Because see, kids might adopt your values, but they will not adapt, adopt your boundaries. They will always take it further than you took it. You want to know how I know that? You took it further than your parents took it. And this is the hard part with every new generation. Every new generation invents new ways to sin. Am I right? Like you look at your kids and you're like, how in the world? You're 12. But that's exactly what your parents thought about you. Inventing new ways to sin, man. And if we just come down on our kids and give them all the rules without understanding, listen, The reason why I'm giving you this perspective in this context, I want to create this world for you, is because you don't know what it's like yet to be enslaved. And I didn't either, but they enslaved me. And the reason why we go to church every week is because mom and dad need a word. We need a word. We need God to speak to us. Because if God doesn't speak to us, we're done. If God doesn't give us a word, we're done. Because God brought us out. 
And he brought us out to bring us in. And he's bringing us in for our good. And so when you follow God, it's going to be good. Now they'll test it just like you did. They'll push the boundaries just like you did. And they'll learn quickly, hopefully by the age of 20, that walking with God is good. But sometimes it takes till 30. Sometimes it takes till 40 for them to learn, oh, walking with God is good. Not walking with God is bad. And it's in those moments, again, that it's so hard as a parent. You've created the context and they might still rebel. But when they come back, you say, God can bring you out. God can bring you out. I've just been waiting for you to realize this. This is the prodigal son, right, who went away and he's sleeping with pigs and he's thinking, it was better in my father's house. Don't you know that when he walked back and he saw his father running to him, that was a response he didn't expect. So on the front end, we give our kids context of the fact that God brought us out. And then on the back end, when they finally realize it, we run to them saying, that's what God did to us. That's perspective, my friends. For our good, always. And and a little side note here. Somebody told me this when I was in college. When I was 20 years old, a pastor said, and your testimony should never be more than 24 hours old. And I thought about that at the time because, you know, I was saved at 13. And so I had only been seven years in. And so in sharing, I was at a homeless shelter in Fort Worth. And I was sharing about how God brought me out. And he wasn't correcting me. He was telling me, man, that's good. But he was giving me a life lesson for the, not life, but a life lesson for the future. And he said, Jason, as you keep walking with God, your testimony should be new. So let me ask you a a question, friends. Is your testimony 24 years old? Or is it fresh enough that God has worked wonders and miracles in the last 24 hours? And I'm not just talking about the miracles of what we think are miracles. I'm just talking about, has he spoke to you? Let me give you an example. This morning, pastor at First Baptist Canton, who's a good friend of mine, texted me. And I kid you not, here's the, he texted me a verse and he said, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God. And he said, I'm thankful for you. I love you, bro. I said, wow. He didn't know that I was speaking on words, but the verse he sent me is, may the words of my mouth. That was a testimony. God knew that, and God laid it on his heart, and he listened and texted it to me. And I texted him back, thank you, wow. What would have happened if he would have missed that opportunity? You never know when the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about text this person, call this person. They may need to hear a word from you right in that moment. And God wants to use you as the delivery system. That's what I'm talking about. And share those stories with your kids. Man, I was in this moment and God showed up. Man, this happened and then God did this. And that creates a perspective, that creates a context for our kids, twofold. One, God is so big, but he is not so big that he misses the details of your life. Last verse, and we're done. Verse 25, and it will be righteousness for us 
if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Moses is saying, you tell your kids those stories of how God is working for your good and it will be righteousness to you. It will be righteousness to you. My friends, our kids, our children, the people that we influence will never, I shouldn't say will never because God can work even when we don't. But the best way for our kids to learn righteousness, that righteousness is right, is they see it in us. They see us devouring the word of God. And they see the word of God creating worlds for us. And they see the word of God where we are reading the stories and you say, that's my God. If God can free them from Egypt, he can free me. If God can split the sea for them, he can split it for me. And it may take 25 years, but I'm believing. And so the best way for us to create that world for our kids is to allow God to create that world for us. So very simply, do you have, and testimony is like a churchy word, but it just means you have a story. Do you have a story of where God's brought you out and he's brought you in? If you don't, today might be that day. If you do, share it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that John 1 tells us in the beginning was the word, the logos, the meaning, the purpose. And the word was with God and the word was God and that word gives life and light to men. Thank you, God, that Jesus is the word and he dwelt among us. And God, I know there are people today that need that word. They need to hear that word, say into their world, let it be. There's a lot of people right now living in darkness and in void, formless and void. And they need to hear you say, let there be light. So God, would you speak into their situation right now? And if they're not saved, would you save them? Create light where there's only been darkness. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but if you've never trusted God, then today the word of God has come to you. Today can be your Egypt moment where you would now have a story to tell how God brought you out. You walked in a slave, but you can walk out a son. He brought you out so he might bring you in. And there's not a one of us among us who doesn't need God to do that. I'm not the hero of my story. Jesus is. And today he can become the hero of yours. So if you want to trust Christ and be saved right there where you are, you can receive the word of God and be saved. So if that's you, I'm gonna pray in just a second and I want you to pray with me. If you want to trust Christ, confess and believe, and you don't have to pray it out loud, 
but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son, the word of God, to free me, to save me, and I receive him now. Would you forgive me? Set me free from my slavery to sin. Give me life and light. Thank you so much for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed that for the first time, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? Just lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. We got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put it down. But then those of us that would say we've already trusted Christ, we have a story where God brought us out. But if we were honest, we need God to speak a new word to us. Listen, all words flow from the word. And the word of God is saying to you today, This is for your good always. So whatever it is that you're going through, ask God, God, speak to me. Give me a word. I need to know that you're with me. I need to know that you're there. I need to know that you're bringing me out and you're bringing me in and you've got my good in mind. And he'll speak to you. Because the language of the Holy Spirit is giving grace and building up. That's just what he does. Jesus said that in John 16. He'll remind you of all my words and he'll comfort you. And so he's here. He wants to speak to you. Just ask him, receive it. So maybe even right there where you are, just as a posture, you can just open up your hands if you want to. Don't worry, nobody's looking. Just open up your hands. Have your palms face upward. Say, God, speak to me. I need a word. I need it. Create a new world in my mind, a new context, a new perspective. Give me direction. Father, we ask you right now that your Holy Spirit would do that. Thank you that you not only know our circumstances, but you know our thoughts. You know our heart. And you know how to speak to us and what to say You know, when we need a text from one of your children to encourage us. And so God, I pray that we would receive that today. And then God, I pray we would leave today and be agents of that. We would be agents of reconciliation. Where if somebody comes to our mind later today, we would just text them, man, I'm praying for you. I believe in you. We would use our words with our kids to tell stories of what God has done to build them up. May we be that kind of church, God, that is building up where we've got dirty shoulders because other people keep standing on them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.